Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I get to sit down with Justin Lucky uh, of The Editors... Uh, of minor victories and it's a delightful chat we recorded this one during lockdown uh, so it was done remotely Um, and I should point out uh, that the audio on this episode um, Justin also recorded his uh, audio separately so we could put them together Uh, and unfortunately it had gone through some strange valve in his studio and uh, which meant that his audio uh, wasn't usable um so we've had to lift the audio from the zoom chat uh, and so big thanks to to 76 the producer because um he tried his best to kind of use what he had to to to, to give you the the best kind of chance of a a decent listen and he's done a great job um with what he's had to play with so um what i will say um in the first maybe sort of 15 minutes there's a couple of bits where the the zoom glitches uh, so you might lose a couple of seconds of of, of um, Justin's uh, chat, um, but I think after about twenty minutes, he changes his Wi-Fi connection, uh, and then the conversation um, is absolutely fine. But don't let that put you off. It's not like you're going to miss chunks of anything important. There's a, just a, a few little bits where um, he dips out for a couple of seconds, but um, it's uh, it's a great listen. Uh, and uh, we've we've got lots of um, kind of moments that we talk about in the early, you know, some some amazing music from the early nineties uh, that influenced us both hugely. So um, yeah, if you're a fan of noisy guitar music, then um, we have a good chat about that. And then obviously we talk about his uh, his career in the editors uh, and also uh, the work he does uh, in uh, minor victories with. Uh, some of the, the the guys and gals from uh, Mogwai and uh, and Slow Dive, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a great listen. So uh, I'm excited for you to hear this one. Um, before we get on with it, like I say, once more, thanks to Seventy Six for producing this. Um, and also, if this is your first time listening uh, to Off the Beaten Track, then um, I'd suggest you also have a look afterwards um, in the archived because there's about 150 episodes now with some of uh, your favorite musicians actors djs comedians producers they're all in there so go and have a rummage in the vaults and see what you can see 
uh, in there. Um, and if you want more, then I do have a Patreon page. So each week I put up a standalone episode on there. I also put up videos of of, uh, of interviews over there. So you can uh, support it there. And also now, from uh, what I can see, is there's now the new thing uh, on Acast that if you enjoy this episode, you can... Uh, contribute a thank you um, if that's something you wish to do I'm sure ACAST will drop him with an advert shortly to tell you all about that um, well that's probably enough from me everything else you need to know is uh, off the beaten track podcast.com um, and a big thanks to Scroobius Pippin and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network let's get on with things please enjoy off the beaten track podcast with Justin Lockie I've got an announcement save our souls clothing www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15, B-E-A-T-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk official sponsors of Off The Beaten Track Podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beaten Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. It means stew with him. Hello and welcome to Off The Beaten Track Podcast. Sitting opposite me today is Justin Lucky. Hello. Hello. You alright? Yeah. Yeah, not bad. As well as we all can be. In the in the modern age. So, how have you found it? Um, as, as a as a as a human and as a creative. As a human, I know it sounds horrible, but I've enjoyed the time of lo- time at home with my kids. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm a touring musician, and I spend most of my life on a cycle that goes from being away in the studio to being away on a tour to coming home and then to going away on tour again. So kind of, I don't know, it's just this weird little utopian bubble at home. 
Yeah. I, never, I don't think anyone's ever spent as much time with a family than every over the last like two months. So it's, it, it's not just that though. I, I, I think um, it, uh, you know I, I'm, I'm in lockdown with, with with my wife and two children. Yeah. But, um, it's not just that. It's like I would probably sort of chat to my parents maybe every couple of weeks, and it's like I'm yeah. chatting to my parents every couple of days now. And, oh uh, man. Do you know? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 It's it's, it's the like, I've got three brothers, and that WhatsApp's just whirring away on my phone twenty four <laughs> hours a day of just stuff, just fucking random shit. And when I talk to my mum, my mum literally this put her into retirement. So she was she had like a post office, and um, it was like they were trying to like wind down, wind down, and then this essentially just like wrote a line under it. Is that right? I keep you retired. So she's been at home and stuff with, and um, and she's got into TV in a way that she never has before. So now I got, because um, no one was in using the studio, I used, I took her the studio team, which is a nice TV, you know what I mean? It's just a place where I've got a band in. If I need mm. to do something proper, I'll send a band upstairs and they'll all go on the Xbox and all that and play Yeah. So I took that TV around to my mum's and uh, loaded Netflix onto it and all that. And that was it. She Don't change it. did like, she, she went from, you know, barely watching telly, like watching the news on the night time when, you know, and uh, to she nailed in like the first few weeks of lockdown. She did all narcos, all narcos, next proper cracked on then. And then, uh, next, yeah, bulletproof seasons one and two in a what in like in two oneers. <laughs> uh, what else did she do? She did something else. Oh, and then she's and, and then she's done uh, the entire Breaking Bad, um, and she's just about coming up finishing the entire of The Sopranos. Max in lockdown. <laughs> Honestly, she, she's, she's doing lockdown in a way that I wish I'd done it. <laughs> so, 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 so it's good. I mean, you know, I get to chat about crime drama with my mum a lot. And then, um, but most of the time, this is, this is like creating it. I mean, I create anywhere. I'll write anywhere. So I've got, um, I've not been down the studio much because my brother works here and his, his missus works for the NHS, so I'm trying to stay away just in case, you know. And um, so I've built, I've built a little studio at home. I've just been working away on that, really. Did you um, sort of slot straight into that? Because a, a lot of the musicians that I've spoke to um, kind of said that it, it initially they were like, right, that's it, lockdown. It's, it's my opportunity now to not be touring and... And, and the same with like any comedians I spoke to, right? There's no, there's no standard. I'm going to write. I'm going to write. I'm going to do this. And, yeah. and they said, but then the minute it all happened, they just couldn't do it. It took a few weeks to like readjust and kind of adapt to everything else before their kind of creative juices kicked in. Was was that the case for you, or did you just drop straight into uh, it? I kind of just dropped straight once I set up my little place. You know, uh, you know, it was like right. If I have my little station there. I've got all my gear about, I've got a guitar lying around, I've got a little amp lying around and stuff, and a couple of mics and good computer set with a couple of synths. And um, I just dropped straight into it. Yeah. I do that anyway, because I'm a compulsive like workaholic. So yeah. to me, it was just like, it was a license to go and make more records. Yeah. With You know what I mean? So I kind of structured the day as, you know, my wife works, but she fortunately can work from home. So, she took the morning and then just me hanging out with the kids and I'd cook. Then we'll have, we'll have a big lunch and then I'd have the afternoon and then we'll get together 
tea time, and then I take the night over the night when everyone's in bed. So I've, I've probably put more hours in whilst I've been in lockdown than I ever have ever. Yeah, to be honest. So it's been good, really good. All right. Well, let's chat music. Um, Justin, for track one, I'm going to yeah. ask you what you think is the song with the yeah. greatest ever intro. The song ever intro. See, see, all these questions, by the way, I could have had about 20 different answers. That's totally understandable, mate. You know what I mean? Yeah, it can change on any day, right? Yeah, it's like, like, oh, man, I I mean, greatest intro, where do you go? I mean, uh, but then I thought the one that, if I think about an intro, and it takes me back to when I started being in bands when I was about 13, 40, it's Sentless Apprentice by Nirvana. It's that drum beat on its own. You know what I mean? I mean, fuck the guitars and bass and vocals. That drum beat alone is yeah. like a standout section of that entire record. Yeah. You know, I, me- I remember like listening to that guy at school. We had it on cassette, and then um, just listening. Fuck, how do you play that? Yeah. How do you play that? And then all the kids at school who who were into music, your bands and stuff, all trying to play it on a weekend. Like, oh, really? I do. Yeah. It's like. This is just fucking brilliant, you know. Because you went from, you went from like, kind of pop. Like Nirvana never. My, I mean, Nirvana are one of my favorite bands of all time, you know. And uh, luckily, I've got two older brothers who were at art college, who were older than me. So, I we got we got into them around Bleach. You know, Bleach was a big record in mm. in in our house. So, you know, going from that to Nevermind, which is just like super pop. It's, it's, it's uh, in, in my opinion, it's the know, greatest pop record ever made. Never mind. Every you know, single track's a single. It's like it's like Dookie by Green Day is a is a big pop record. It's a massively pop record. There's no, there's not, there's not really that much edge to it. And um, so when they come back with in utero, you're just like, holy shit! Yeah, this is like fucking serious, serious music for serious people. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, and that 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 was great, and it's just those those opening couple of bars and the drums are like, just shows the simplicity, and it kind of also, you know, I'd been listening to Albini records, unaware of who Albini was, from back in Pixies day when my brother brought like Surferosa and stuff home. So it's weird that it's probably the only time where I've ever knew. It's like, ah, oh, no, those drums sound like. Other records that I know, and it's like yeah. Breeders Pod sounds like Breeders sounds like Pod, and it sounds like Pixies, and it's like, and then it was only you know I was fourteen, I didn't really know much about producers, but I knew yeah. who the drums were. Yeah, and I'm like fuck, this is like, you know, this, it had elements in that small break on the drums, had elements of all of my favorite records in yeah. one go. I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm in, I'm in totally, in, totally. It's 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 so weird because. Um, it, what, I've often had people that have, have, have used uh, Teen Spirit for the answer here. And I know Butch Fig said that, that, you know, when he first heard that, it felt like a ton of, when it kicks, like a ton of, like a house that just literally yeah. collapsed on top of you. And I think, and it is a big sounding record, but what you, the track that you've just chosen now, I put that on again this morning. It's the first time I've played in Euro for, for quite a while. I mean, it's heavy as fuck, isn't it? It's fucking mega heavy. Even the like guitar, when the guitar comes yeah. in, it's like 
it's it's such a metal riff, but yeah. not metal at the same time. Like now, 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 and you're like, yeah. I mean, this is like the heaviest thing in the world. So discordant and horrific. Yeah. But glorious at the same time. Yeah. And he was like, fuck me. This this is a record. This is a proper <laughs> record. And it's that record alone was like when I first when I signed my first deal with my old band, your code name is Milo. The only pe- person we were going to make that first record with was Albini, and it, and it happened. So I managed oh. to get my first ever like proper record was made by the guy who made all my favorite records growing up. Yeah, that's a big like, box tick, isn't it? Oh, it was a massive box tick because like, hey, I just wanted to know how I recorded the drums. So did you did you go out of the states to do that? And I sat there and watched him for a week drums. Yeah, I went to a studio in Chicago and did it, and it so was like. You know, it was it was the biggest box tick of all time. Because um, I've, I've got a mate uh, who's in a band called Asylums, and they've just gone out and recorded yeah. with Albini. Uh, and they said, and they said it, it's like a proper job for him. Like he, he kind of, you know, turns up, he does his stint, and like, and he's got his his boiler suit on, and it's crazy, yeah. man. Uh, yeah, it's, it's like it's. It, I mean, when we got there, guys, is going. When did we first do it? This is like two thousand three. Um, we got there and we'd all read stories about him thinking he was like some mad genius and um, he just opened the door to the studio himself in his boiler suit he was like oh I'm, I'm working on a, a blues album today so I'll show you to your like lodgings he has some like dorms set out in the studio he's like uh, shops down there there's like Burger King stuff over the road if you need pizza ring this person and uh, I'll see you tomorrow and we're like oh, alright and then you know, you get up in the morning and he comes through and he just sits down and watches, like, uh, um, poker games and cooking that he's recorded. Has a cup of coffee, watches a bit of them. We all sit around, talk about what we're going to do, and then you're off to work. God, he's, he's so consistent. Like, literally. A shift and then smash it. But look, my mates have just got back from recording with him. Said all he done was watch poker videos. <laughs> that's fucking crazy. Because mm, mm. he's a big like, poker player, isn't he? Seventeen years ago, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he won some massive tournament last year. He won some massive tournament last year, apparently. And it's like I was like, I'm not surprised. The amount of fucking poker that guy watched when we were there, we were only there for like nine days or something. <laughs> and um, so he does that, and he's got this billiards table. He used to have a billiards table. In the in the like recreation area as well, and he used to have a game of billiards, and then he'd be like, "Put zip his boiler suit up, and off you go." And then there you are, you're done. And it's like it's such a mad thing because I think because he has his name attached and he's responsible for kind of all his records sound like they, they can re- be recorded today, tomorrow. There's no date on him because he doesn't yeah. use all these like dated kind of um, technology or dated like reverbs and stuff like never mind sounds like a 90s rock record yeah because it was made on 90s rock gear albini stuff is so simple and so um spartan how he does it that it could have been done in the 70s 80s 90s or now you could i can record in chicago tomorrow and it'll still sound exactly the same as a pixels record from the late 80s and that's the thing that when i heard sentless apprentice you know that was like, like six years after that Pixies record was like it was recorded at the same time as yeah. it, but it wasn't and that in, in some like nerdy kind of way is like a timelessness to, yeah. to all his records and it's like and it's weird and he, and he doesn't give a fuck 
he's like, he's not there to produce your... He literally couldn't give a shit. He's like, I'm an engineer. I press play and record. And I put yeah. the mics in place. What you do is up to you. Do you know what I mean? And, it, and that was great. Absolutely That's great. So, 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 yeah, Sinless Apprentice. Sinless Apprentice. Although it's just a short drum break, it means to me, it's like instantly presses all the buttons. On. So, I mean, obviously, it's very kind of fucking you're up like a polka, you know what I mean? Like, oh, what's going on? So... Perfect, yeah. perfect way to start a playlist. Um, yeah. Track two, mate. The first thing I remember hearing that you had an emotional, uh, that had an emotional impact on you. Yeah, right. Again, and this is kind of, uh, just even looking at it now, right? The, this version, this is Happiness is a Warm Gun. By the Beatles, but I'm talking about Breeders' version on yeah. their first album, Pod. Again, recorded by Albini. I didn't even yeah. think about that when I was, when I was writing this down. Um, but I heard it, and that record is probably is in the, my top five records of all time. Uh, pod, it's a slice of. It's just a fucking perfect record for me, and it holds a lot of like childhood, early teen memories and stuff. And I was going to say, you must have been sort of early teens because when that came oh, out, I, I was playing that in clubs, yeah, and I was only sort of eighteen, nineteen. Yeah, yeah. This is the thing. It's like for me having two older brothers. All of this stuff was on in the house all the time. So music to me growing up was, you know, what I thought was pop music because I didn't know any better. And uh, but it wasn't the college rock from the late eighties to the mid nineties. So, which is, you know, it, I just naturally gravitated. Yeah. But, uh, even to now, it's what I listen to. It's my go-to. You know what I mean? And uh, I remember hearing after the one, and it doesn't sound like anything else on that record. It's a mood. It's a proper mood. It yeah. like, had a really right weird mood to it. And there's loads of really like techy kind of time signature change kind of things going on in it as well. But then I went over, my dad lived in America and I went over to see him one summer in like a few years after that. And my brother, who I was over there with at the time, took out his copy of the White Album and then played this song. And I was like, whoa, what's this? Do you know what I mean? Because Beatles were never, never, they were never really part of that yeah. early kind of being into music because it was like, fuck the Beatles, we've got Sonic Youth, you know what I mean? Yeah. And to peace. Knowing that I was thinking it was a Breeders tune and I had no, you know, pre-internet, I didn't fucking know it was a Beatles tune. Yeah. And, um, and Beatles, then the Beatles version is fucking glorious. Yeah. It's absolutely insane. And that fucking totally, I think the emotion, the emotion of it was, it's not about who who records the song. It's about the song. It's the first time I ever got my head around that someone could take a song that someone had written, do it in a different way or do it in their own way, and it still have the same impact on you. Because yeah. that's, the, that's the beauty of songs. Not tunes, not records, but an actual song. And, um, yeah, it just blew me away. So you, you mentioned... Um... You, you, your brothers would be playing sort of music in the house. Like, was, was, I mean, from very early on, was like, was there always music on at home? Was your folks playing music? And my mum never played music. And it, it was purely my brothers. And it was only when my oldest brother went to art college that this, I, I kind of remember before then, it was like, music didn't fucking matter. It was computer games. We weren't a musical family. Nobody played an instrument. I think I actually remember the Christmas we got a fucking hi-fi and it was like, we were quite, you know, 
it was like it was not something that had been around the house. Sure. It was like it was a big deal. It's like fuck me, what's this? <laughs> what do you mean? Right, and then, you know, and then from then on, I think we got it, and it was the first thing we got with it was Three Feet Iron Rising by De La Soul. Oh, which, mate, what a choice! And, we, um, fuck, and that record, I mean, I put that record equal up there with the absolute greatest records of all time, mm-hmm. unskippable from start to finish. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I just remember from there on, it was all about music. Then it was like. You know, my brother was coming home with like Delasol seven inches, and on top of that, there was like just then uh, wedding present singles and stuff like this. And like, so that 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 would have been the time around then when the wedding present done the one single every month. Am I right? Or was it just uh, that? No, that was that came just after. But by when that came. Me and a mate, when I was in, I started, I was in my first band when I was like 13, 14. And a mate of mine, Tom, um, he, he got all them singles. Yeah. We, in, and, we, and we went into, um, we were, we were, I'm, I'm still a little bit obsessed with it. Wedding Present was the first show I ever went to see in 1993. And it was a, it was a Leeds, so a hometown show, sold out show at the end of, I can't remember what it was. I can't remember what tour it was on. It was like December 1993, Leeds Town and Country, sold out, wedding present, and they had Girls Against Boys in support. Nice. Right? And I'm like 13-year-old, mad into music, we were mate, and we were learning guitars and shit, and we were like kicking around in the garage. Proper old-school way of starting a band. And we, we were obsessed with wedding present. And Tom's dad, Bry, who was like a, a really liberal teacher, took us and he's like right you lads go down the front I'll sit back have a bit you know what I mean and I, I just it was like a transformative experience I'm like wedding present I'd heard for years of my brothers playing all their records and stuff and we were getting to that point just as um, the um, hip parade stuff was like full flow and um, I remember I remember us going into like an Andy's records or something like that the week after and going we need to get every one of these and asking for the um, display because the display had all the empty um, seven inch covers in it back then and he, and he mate got it <laughs> got them all wow yeah so yeah. it was like Nirvana wedding present to us they were they were I mean you know I know they were like gulf in between them but to us they were they, they were part, all part of the same thing yeah yeah uh, the, the first time um, I, I saw the wedding present do you know what I think I saw? I think I saw Cinerama before I saw the wedding present. And I was late to seeing uh, the wedding yeah. present. And, uh, and I saw Cinerama at, at a venue called the Wire Club in Chelmsford. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I was just sort of thinking, oh, I can't believe I was I'm in this small little venue. That's David Gage right there. And it was like, uh, yeah. and I remember thinking, like, I'm going to try and hang around afterwards and get him to sign a couple of my records. And uh, I couldn't find him. And I was like, oh fuck it come on let's go <laughs> so I walked down the stairs to leave he was literally flogging t-shirts himself and I was like David Gedge's selling his own t-shirts what's yeah, going man. on here like? and he was just <laughs> no you just think I love him even more this is incredible oh, fucking, <laughs> that, like, I, like for me David Gedge back in the day when I was growing up and in the band was as important as a Dave Grohl and Kurt Cobain because yeah. he was he was Making these records, Sea Monsters, by Wedding Present, one of my favourite records of all time. 
and something I've tried to like replicate and steal on every yeah. record I've ever made ever since, and um, and massively un- un- underappreciated and un- underrated outside of you know the UK and stuff. And um, I don't know, man. There's something so magical about how he sings. Because I've played it to people, and like, what the fuck's he singing? It's like, yeah, it don't matter. He's fucking. He's just going for it. And it's yeah. all about fucking horrible breakups and it's all about fucking this and that and that. And it sounds messy as fuck, but listen to it. It's proper. Beautiful. It's actual proper, yeah. And it's like, you know, I mean, he's responsible for, but he's just as responsible as any other artist for me to do what I do easily. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Track three. Song reminds you of your time at school. Yeah. But a bit of a weird one, this, because it was, it's Drowned by Smash Pumpkins, and I love Pumpkins, and Gifts and Siamese Dream were massive records for me growing up, massive records. And Drown, I didn't hear until um, a mate of ours at school, at the single soundtrack, because he thought he was a fucking cool kid, right? And he was like, you know, and he came in, played it to us. And there's this opening riff on on Drown. And I was in. I'm like, this is fucking brilliant. Yeah. That, um... This is my soundtrack. It's mad. Uh, You're breaking up a little bit, just. just, Sorry, uh, mate. Sorry. Every now and then you're breaking up a little bit. But um, for people listening, they won't won't be aware of that because you're recording to separate uh, (laughs) audios, mate. But... um, um, so yeah, if you hear me sort of talking over Justin, I'll do apologize. Okay. Um, but that that single soundtrack was was so it, it just seemed to have the tracks that weren't on anything else. It was like for me, it was like State of Love and Trust, like by Pearl Jam. I was like, oh, that, that's one of the greatest things I've ever done. Trust. Like, yeah, why is it? Yeah, everyone's like State of Love and Trust. You know, everyone listens <laughs> to Pearl Jam at times, like, but no one could get hold of State of Love and Trust that version. You know yeah. I mean, everyone knew that they had the other version on there unplugged, and it sounded cool. But that version, yeah, that was one of the best Pearl Jam songs of the period. And it's on a fucking soundtrack. And it's the same with Pumpkins. It's the same with fucking. It's the, it's the same with Drowns. Drowns like one of my favorite Pumpkins. Pumpkins tunes, and it's yeah. not on any of the fucking records. I think they added a version of and it. Also, to like... Chris Cook seasons. <clears throat> yeah, I think they did. Yeah, they added it to a reissue version. of Gish. I think. Yeah. 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 I mean, and, um, fucking all the drums on on Gish. I mean, that's that's something else. If you're talking big crazy. drum sounds, fucking absolutely hell. crazy. But it was like, but my my intro to to Pumpkins always came from a um, Siamese Dream. That was my entry point at my age. You know what I mean? It was mm. like, this is the best thing. This is one of the best things I've ever heard. Just the guitars are just fucking insane. And yeah. um, and then. And then, yeah, hearing that, but again, I guess it's kind of, it's not just that song, that 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 song is one of like five tunes on that record. Like Chris Cornell, Seasons by Chris Cornell is just yeah. like, you know, we all knew fucking Soundgarden and stuff, but when you hear that, I mean, I still play, I still on lots of my playlists now. Yeah. Seasons by Chris Cornell is just a fucking masterclass in one guitar and one voice and making yeah. it sound unbelievable. So it was like, it was... I don't know. It's just it's just one of those things. I've um, not I've not actually seen singles since it came out, and I remember at the I time being really underwhelmed that it was actually. Oh quite yeah, yeah, shit. yeah. <laughs> it was probably right. 
probably <laughs> should, but, you know, but, but Cameron Crowe's soundtrack, you know, it's a great track. Yeah. I think, like, um, there was... Uh, the yeah. other one that came out around then was um, uh, the Judgment Night soundtrack. And, the, and, and, you know, that was a fucking dreadful mm. film. But that soundtrack was fucking groundbreaking. It was every yeah, rock rap kind of crossover you could get. That is brilliant. That is, you know, and I'm going to fucking write that down. And, and I forgot about that. I'm going to fucking search that out tonight. I remember uh, uh, a friend of mine, a friend of mine's one of those, um, he was, a, he was like the older kid in the group who, who played guitar better than everyone else. And he swore by the Judgment Night soundtrack. It's a banger, he never right? saw, he'd never, he'd never seen a film, but the soundtrack was fucking yeah. tip top. Well, what's mad is he's got like all the kind of, you know, Faith No More and 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 Helmet and Booyah Tribe and Onyx and like all these really hard sounding bands. Yeah. And then he's also got mm. Bela Soul and Teenage Fan Club doing Falling, yeah. which is fucking stunning. Hello, I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is, the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there... I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. So what did you want to be when you was at school? And and did you enjoy school? Uh, no, I hated it. I was, I was good at it, but I, um, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't like teachers talking down to me. I went to a Catholic school. And it was just full of hypocritical bollocks from day one to the end. Um, you know, I, I worked out pretty early that how do you square science when you're trying to, when you're making us line up 
and do assembly every morning about fucking, you know, God made the earth in seven days and, you know, and all, and repent and repent and repent. It'd be a really bizarre school because you had assembly and there's like loads of kids in the hall and you have a normal, normal school assembly about what's happening and stuff. And then they'd make you all shimmy around in your chair and it'd open up into a big fucking like church. And you're like, this fucking mad. And then, then be, you know, now nah, the altar and everything. You're like, it's a fucking church and it's an assembly hall and it's a school. And, um, you know, uh, I've always been quite scientific. I've always been quite logic based and fact based in, yeah. in, uh, in me, in, in me. And I, I, I didn't come from a, um, a religious background either. So yeah, it was just not, it was just nonsense to me. And uh, well, religion so, struggles when science gets involved. Oh it? <laughs> yeah. It was just a, a massively hypocritical <laughs> clash. And you know, you, you, your science teachers telling you at morning that, um, you know, we should all praise be thanks to the invisible man in the sky. And then, in the afternoons, trying to tell you that this is how physics works. Well, if that's how it works, why doesn't the fucking invisible man in this guy just make it different? You know what I mean? Totally. You know, I thought you could sort of do back then. <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, so to me, it was, it was, I just didn't trust. And not that I didn't trust, I just didn't believe any single one of my teachers. And the, um, the music department was a fucking joke. And it was just made up of fucking idiots playing hymns. And I just thought it was a waste. And, so was, um, you, was you playing music at that point? Oh, yeah, I was playing since, like, towards the end of the second year, third into third year. So I was like, what, what's that? Fucking... Thirteen. Well, about 13 onwards, yeah. And um, just bands in mates' garages and people's basements and attics. Um, you basically had whatever gear you could get and you just made it work and, you you know, and that's, that's how it worked. And... Uh, yeah, I did. I did. I think I was at Reading Festival in '95 when my GCSE results came in, and um, so I didn't even go to pick them up. To be honest, I didn't go much in the last year, but you know, I passed. So I just couldn't wait to get out of there. I thought it was a fucking joke. Who was playing in '95? '95 was the first fucking. Who was there? Stereo Lab, one of the best bands I've ever seen in my entire life. Live, yeah. and still. I think it's because it was one of. It was the first festival I ever went to. That um, I got dragged along to see Stereo Lab. Not really into it. Watched them live. I I just couldn't couldn't grasp what was going on. Just I a reckon fucking mad hurricane of noise. It was amazing. At least once a week, I will watch Stereo Lab performing French disco on oh, yeah, the yeah. Word. It's just it's fucking amazing. incredible. It just Absolutely. thunders. Yeah. So also in '95, it was the first Foo Fighters show. Oh God, yeah, in the tent, wasn't it? Yeah, in the tent, in the middle of the Maker tent. Um, and then it was all the like, all the fucking Britpop stuff. A lot of that was on. Oh, it was like Gene. They had yeah. the Melody Maker stage. I, I watched that. I actually really liked that. I thought they were fucking great at the time. I Marion, who yeah. I fucking loved. I fucking adored Marion. Yeah. And. Um, such a shame that they didn't just fucking carry on and, and it's and, so and weird because um well one of Marion's now in New Order isn't he yeah um but um that I saw Marion at the Monarch I think it was the Barfly at the time in in about nineteen ninety when the first album came out yeah and they come on and his voice went after about four songs yeah. and then four songs it was fucking incendiary like it yeah. was so good like i think like he come on to 
what's the one that starts with a harmonica sleep or, or yeah. whatever it was? Yeah, and it's, sleep, yeah. Oh, it was fucking awesome, mate. Really, no, mate, really good. Yeah. That, that album now, I mean, it sounds, it sounds really thin, the recording now, but fuck me, man. That's, they had some fucking tunes. I loved yeah. them. I absolutely adored them, man. Like, early bands that were in, you know, we, we, there was like two bands that we fucking loved at that point, apart from when the present Nirvana Pixies and Breeders was um, Marion, because we thought they weren't really like the rest of the Britpop crowd. No, you know what I mean, they were they like were. proper, and they were like they tear through their stuff as well. It was great, and uh, and Posies from America. Yeah, we thought we thought they were just massively underrated because they had fucking insane harmonies and insane tunes. And their yeah. album Frosted on the Beatles is well, still one of my favorite albums of all time. That's that's in my top five. Did you ever hear um, any tracks from the second Marion album? The um, oh, what was Mi- it Mickey Go Hideaway, I think. Yeah, it was yeah, 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 yeah. They were all right. Except that John Mark right. played on that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just, he, 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 he kind of his like you know very public descent into the fucking depths kind of yeah. took over from the band, and it was like. You know, I read, read quite a few stories about him over the last few years about what happens. It was just fucking heartbreaking. Yeah. How, how you could get, how you could be the guy who was, you know, essentially like fucking Bono trajectory. Yeah. You know what I mean? And his voice was incredible to that, to fucking stealing from your mates. And it's yeah. like, it's fucking shocking. Yeah. So, saw them in 95. Uh, you also say Neil Young with Pearl Jam as his backing band. That do. Um, that was in 95. Soundgarden was 95. Pavement, Hole, oh. Tears Fan Club, Beck, Deus. Fucking Deus. Deus. Yeah. That's an intro. Suds and Soda by Deus. That's a fucking yeah. intro, yeah. mate. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely an intro. So, it was, you know, it was a good, uh, <clears throat> a good year, that one. Really good okay. year. But that, was, that, that, was my, that was my first festival as well, which I was, fucking loved it. I mean, that's a great one to break your duck out, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. First song you remember buying from a record shop? Uh, that's Feel the Pain by Dan Store Jr. Nice. Um, it's only because it's only because I never had any cash, and I found myself. I mean, mate used to buy records all the time. I used to take them off him, um, and found myself with a couple of quid. I think it was like ninety nine p. Feel the pain, and I can't remember the fucking B side on it. I can't remember what the name of the song is, but it was an it was a instrumental version where Jay Masters just solos all the way through over the top of an instrumental track. Uh, so it was just mad, like guitar shredding over yeah. it, like constant from start to finish, just shredded all the way through this this B side. But I mean, feel the pain. I had like all the elements of all the music I loved in one fucking yeah. handy tune. You know what I mean? And um, and Dinosaur Junior. Just put them in the pile along with everyone else who I was into at the time. It was just, it was like, it was a no-brainer. It was like, oh, it's a new Dinosaur Junior singer, and it's just it's record shopping. Donny called Track Records, and they had all the cool shit. And it was like, right, put it on. I'm like, fuck me, yeah, I'm into this. I'm having that. Took it home, learned it on the guitar. Probably tried to rip it off a million times since. Well, <laughs> well, um, well, record shops like a a hangout for you. It wasn't so much hangout. I mean, it kind of. I think it was later on, in like, in towards the end of the nineties, like ninety-seven onwards. When I started like going to college, having a bit more money in my pocket and stuff, 
Um, I remember buying Cornelius's Phantasma from a record shop on recommendation from a guy at a record shop. He's like, listen, you come in here all the time. I know what you like. You need to buy this record. Is that the one with the orange cover? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (sighs) And it's a fucking, just a mad piece of work. Yeah. A mad piece of work. And there's so many great moments on it. And um, so, you know, I, I, I try to explain this to my son about how you used to go buy records and uh, he was like, just sounds like a ball lake going all the way to town <laughs> <clears throat> to go. To I go mean, I get where he's coming from. <clears throat> you know what I mean? Nowadays, it's like, what, you mean you're going to go all the way to town, you're going to spend money on something that's only got two songs on it, and then you're going to come home and physically put it on a record player to listen to, and you're like, oh, yeah. He's like, that's just fucking mad. Yeah. You know, you don't understand. You just don't get it, but... And I was trying to explain to him, I was like, the thing was, it's like, you went to see a record shop so often, and if everyone, if it's a small town like Donny, everyone knows everyone's in a band and what band they're in and what kind of stuff they're playing. And it's all the same people at the shows who go to the record shops anyway. So you go to this one record shop in town, and you can trust them. And you can trust them, and you can be recommended, pre-internet, being recommended music by someone who, who, who you know, has watched you buy records for however long and it was like it was just nice to go in and, and you're open to it you're like fuck yeah I'll have a bit of that yeah. and, uh, and and yeah it's, so so and, and that's that's a sad thing it's a sad thing that you don't have that kind of you know personalised kind of it's just a fucking chat man you know what I mean you go and yeah. chat about music so I, nobody fucking chats about it everyone chats about numbers and algorithms you know yeah. it's like you know, it's mad. It's everyone's trying to beat a mathematical equation. Nobody's yeah. sat there going, oh, you should, you know, you should really buy this because this. I mean, even fucking Pitchfork and people you'd expect to get the idea of talking about music in a way that will, you know, entice people into actually listen to it. It's more about how much of a can, can I be in a review as opposed to how good is this record or who I, should I, listen to this record. I do think that, that you know, as, as somebody that read the NME from... Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. 
No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. 90 to whenever it went. I mean, historically, some. I mean, there were some incredible writers at the, at the Maker and the Enemy, but there was also some total cunts that would just oh, yeah. ruin bands for the hell of it, you know? And yeah. it was like, the Melody Maker liked you, right, well, we, we're not going to like you, and vice yeah. versa, do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's... it's it's a weird one. I remember like going into like early mid two thousands when uh, when I was doing Milo records and stuff, and so, like people in bands from around the same region, like Maximo Park and stuff like that, and seeing them getting like fucking raised up on a pedestal on the first record. You know, it's a fucking good record and rightly so. But then uh, just the embarrassment of watching them get crushed on their second record because they fancied pushing it further. And it's like. He stepped outside of the music press's neat little box, so they fucked him for it. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's pretty sad, really. And but then it's kind of it's, it's a very British story to pump someone up and then fucking kick him until yeah. your feet bleed. You know what I mean? And that's a very English way of doing things. And, and even on a scene level as well, and then on a local level, it's like you start out with bands. One of them gets big. That scene doesn't respect you anymore because you've gone off yeah. and done something. Yeah, like, fuck this. I remember doing my, when I did Milo, I was living in Newcastle and I didn't really know anyone in Newcastle apart from the band and I went over there for university and, and stuff. And I wasn't part of the local scene. And I specifically said to them, to everyone in the band, I don't want to be part of the Newcastle local scene because, you know, what, what is that going to do? It just means we're going to play in Newcastle all the time. Fuck that. And I think our second show was a fucking Peel session. So I made sure it was like, Whatever we do, we're, we're geared to go out of the fucking city, out of the country, and that's how we're going to play this band. Yeah. We're not, we're not a fucking, you know, a band who's going to, you know, play seven gigs a, a fucking week in front of your mates who, who are going to tell you are amazing anyway. So, um, but I remember there being quite a lot of animosity towards us going off and just doing nothing because we didn't pay our dues and all that bollocks. And it's yeah. like, oh, fuck that. I <laughs> think. Uh... If any listeners ever want to know about what it's like being in a, in a scene and then suddenly getting successful and, and, and the bands that left behind not liking you, watch the film Dig because uh, mm. <laughs> watch, mm. watch what that done to Anton. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. What you were saying there about um, whenever you sort of, you know, what you said about, um, to reference what you said about Maximo Park. So when you approach writing a new editor's record, yeah. Right. Uh, is that a consideration, you know, like how it's going to be interpreted outside of your following? No, editors is a completely different beast. Um, so really, like going from the bands I was in and the labels I was on before editors, so I'd gone through the major label mill with your code name is Milo, and then we went to like a major indie, we signed to V2, and we went through that mill. And then... Um, my next project after that was the British Expeditionary Force, which is through Erased Tapes Records, which was just starting at the time, which is now like the fucking go-to place for all your composers and um, neoclassical and stuff like that. And and then I went from there to editors. So I've, I've been total journeyman by that point, you know what I mean? Yeah. Been around the houses, been around the world a few times and stuff and had some great times and worked with some amazing people. And editors is... is from the outside of editors looking in and being in another band and watching editors grow from, you know, this band who fucking played everywhere all the time, just gig their fucking socks off to like 
stepping inside the uh, the circle of it. It's just like a fucking. They just. It was like it was a breath of fresh. They just. They were more punk than most of the fucking punk bands or emo bands or any of those fucking hardcore bands I'd ever toured with here or in the states. I ain't yeah. give a fuck. Give zero fucks about what anyone else thought. You know, yeah. and this is a band that has that have been, you know, consistently smashed by the press from day one to every record completely dragged down by the press. Never never really been one of those pressy kind of bands, but every record they got bigger and bigger. And and like a lot of people couldn't work it out. So like, what the fuck's going on here? It's like yeah. they're getting bigger and bigger. And then I joined on record four and he and he was still getting bigger. Yeah. And it's it, it's it's and it, but the way they went about it was fuck it, you know, fuck about it. We'll just go yeah. and make our records and we'll, we'll lose some fans, but we'll gain some and we'll yeah. go out and we'll fucking tour it hard in a very old school kind of way, which fans by that point just didn't really know how to do that anymore. It was like, you know, how, how's, how's fucking editors like doing arenas and stuff and, um, and not getting any press because we go to the fucking people and we play our songs and we put all our, all our efforts into making sure every single live show is as fucking good as the next live show. You know what I mean? Yeah. Regardless of whether we're playing to like 300 people in Oslo or 35,000 people in Belgium. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, it's the same fucking show and you're going to get that same intensity. So it's like, it was great going in because I, you know, then I, I, uh, I got in, involved in them via, because I worked with Flood on a record and Flood did their like, um, third record and we kind of, like, I got drafted in that way. It's like, oh, you should just talk to this guy on the guitar because I think he'll be good for you. And I, I just rocked up. And uh, that was that. And nice. it was like, just being in there was great, though, because it was like, as soon as I worked out that they had a very similar principle, principle to me, it was like, fuck everyone else. Just go and do what we want to do. And yeah, that's how, that's how it should be. And they just done it on such a fucking grander scale than I'd ever yeah. been privy to anymore. And I was just before and I was just like fuck me this is this is serious really yeah. serious and uh, I, I you know I initially got brought in to do some festivals which were the biggest shows they'd ever booked so they were headlining festivals in, in, in Europe in like you know like my fourth gig I was playing in front of like 50,000 people and I was like this is fucking insane <laughs> what's going on here and it's just been been brilliant ever since you know what I mean and now, I, now I've done as many records as the first original yeah. act in it um iteration so it's good it's really good okay track five the song that soundtrack your years in clubland and that obviously yeah. means dirty yeah. state indie clubs as well yeah um right this, this is this is a the, the, in doncaster where i grew up there was there was like there's two night there's two nightclubs in this town one of them and they and, and most of the days of the week it was just fucking chart cheese, mm. you know, a regular regional fucking like top ten, yeah. get your head kicked in, cheap beer, get your head kicked in, kind of thing, especially for like alternative kids. Yeah. There's one night there's one night on a Tuesday at one of these clubs and every fuck every kid who played a fucking guitar or wore a fucking jumper with holes in or a green army jacket or a Bundeswehr t-shirt, you could guarantee on a Tuesday night between the hours of fucking nine o'clock and two in the morning, we're, we're there. Yeah. They were all there. They were all there. And uh, so we all congregated there and he played and the, 
you know, the DJ, they, they knew, they, they had an easy fucking crowd because they knew they were the same people who were DJing the gigs before the club opened. Yeah. So it was just like one party. So like, you go and do a gig at like fucking Nag Z or Sutton Chive, all your mates will be there. You have a great night. Yeah. And then everyone knew it was like 30 seconds walk to the nightclub from all the pubs that we were playing at anyway. And then everyone would be there later. And there, were no, there was never really any kind of animosity or fucking fighting. Everyone was in their own like, it feels weird now going back to because it's like if you were in a certain kind of indie band, that's what kind, that's what side of the nightclub you'd sit on. So they have, all their tribes were together, but everyone knew people. You know, so there was like some kids in indie bands who knew kids in like, you know, like psychobilly, like American kind of punk kind of hardcore bands, and they sat over there. Do you know what I mean? But then the other guys who were more into dance and kind of, you know, Chemical Brothers stuff sat over there, and. Uh, but everyone Mate, kind of knew everywhere, you know what I mean? So it was like... Totally know what you mean. I've, I've run a, uh, an alternative club for like 30 years. Yeah. And, uh, and literally, the first time I ever walked in that club, I remember looking round, and it was exactly as you said. There was a stack of lads that wanted to be Robert Smith. There was a yeah. stack of lads over there that wanted to be Morrissey. There was a stack yeah. of lads over there that wanted that were into like Depeche Mode, wanted to be like Dave Garner and Nitzer yeah. and stuff like that. And then there was yeah. all your kind of like your Grebos that were into poppies and stuffies and stuff like that. Yeah. And it was like, there was just, it, it's not that tribal anymore. And I miss that. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it was great. It was like, you could tell what someone was into by if they were wearing a velvet blazer or a green <laughs> army jacket, you know what I mean? If they had a fishtail parkie, you know what they were onto. If, if they were wearing a, a like anything of like velour or velvet, then you know, they were just big suede fans. Yeah. Who, who, who just hung on every fucking Morrissey lyric and, you know, you know, they probably hated Gene because they, they weren't quite fucking the Smiths or something, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, so it was, just, it was just great. But then, but then no matter what fucking coat they wore or what haircut they had, if fucking Rage Against the Machine came on, they were all in the middle. Everyone was friends. And when the Prodigy Hour started, or the like more techie dance hour, yeah. everyone was battered enough that we were all on the same dance floor. Yeah. Everyone was having a great time. And, you know, the fucking, the beer was shit. It was cheap. You didn't need much money, and yeah. you know that you were staying at your mate's house, whose mum would ring school the next day and tell them you're not coming in. Yeah. So everyone had, a, but it was so easy back then, and everyone and there's always a cafe to go to afterwards as well, like some bus station cafes, you know. And yeah. It was like this. It was the closest you ever get to that teen, that classic teen diner kind of all nighter. Yeah. You know, fucking. Link later, John Hughes time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it's the closest that's what we had. And and looking back to it now, it was it was pretty fucking close, man. It was just yeah. it was very northern and very regional. And uh, but the last song he used to play to take everyone out was End of a Century by Blur. Yeah. And um and it just every time I hear that song now, I can see the lights coming up. Yeah. And it's like everyone's absolutely fucked. Yeah. And it's like, right, should we go and get a pizza? That was that was all it was. It's a great oh, record as well. That it's one of my favourite Blur tracks. Really it's good. Great, you know, and 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 Blur, I could always been a big Blur fan, so it was great. And it reminds me of meeting my wife as well. Oh, I met my wife at that club in 1995. Yeah, um, probably to that song. So brilliant. You know what I mean? It's crazy, Perfect. really. Track six. <laughs> favorite song from an artist from your home county. All right. All right. Yeah. So. County-wise, I thought you said country when you said it on the email. <laughs> You're not the first, mate. You're probably about the 30th first time I've done that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and 
uh, and county wise, they're only one county over, so it kind of counts. And there's not that much, you know. What I mean, um, that that I thought it was worth jumping over the county border because it all kind of Yorkshire's all one place, really, you know. And um, but yeah, it's it's dalliance by the wedding present, oh, um, which again goes back to the thread on the first question you asked. It's just one of those records I knew who had recorded it because it sounded like all my favorite records, and this is when. You know, this band opened up a world of all kinds of. Oh, I won't. I won't be. I won't have been in it. I won't have done anything I've done now if it wasn't for this band. And uh, this song is just a fucking great slice of alternative music. And I don't know what it is. There's something about it. And luckily, a few, quite a few, it must be about ten years ago now. Channel Four were doing something where they go to like. I think it was like a Jack Danielsy type Channel Four. You know those music shows that happen where there's like there's like five gigs and they the love like pick a different band in each town. And, and they um, bring them back to their town. One of them. Ones. Yeah, one of those. Yeah. One of those kind of things. But it was a weird one. Anyway, what happened was Gedge happened to be doing this one episode in Newcastle, bizarrely, where I was living, and they, and um, I got a call saying, "Oh, Gedge's doing something, and we know you're a massive wedding present fan. Do you want to do some with us? I said, "I want to do Dalliance with them." And uh, he's like, yeah, all right then. And Gedge was like, yeah, let's do it. And he, and then I got to rearrange his song into more of a Krautrock version. So it was like Stereo Lab doing Dalliance with Gedge live on stage singing it. And I was like, this is this is like up there with uh, the and Peel Session. Yeah, and it was absolutely fucking amazing as well. And, uh, and yeah, it was just like I rubbed my brother in who plays in Man of Victories with me because he's a massive wedding present fan as well and we like just made up this like little three piece for the night and um played dalliance to and made it really really fucking heavy and crazy it was essentially like dalliance like in the style of french disco with edge smashing it is that anywhere to be heard can i can i, can I, don't, I have a look actually it's probably it probably will be I, i'll dig it out i'll dig it out because they did record it because it obviously got broadcast so yeah, um, oh, I'd love to hear I, that. I, I, I fucking loved it. Absolutely loved it. Oh, what a moment. Um, yeah. It's just another way it's like, when I get questions through like this, because I never really get asked questions like this when I'm out on editor stuff, it's always like, you know, depending where we are in the world or what kind of question you're going to get and how deep yeah. it's going to go. But when you get questions like this and it makes you look back to where it all started and, and you, you kind of remember these things that happened, there's like fucking loads of mental stuff that's happened over yeah. like. 30 years and you're just like fucking hell what's going on you know what I mean there yeah, so that's one of them final track and you can play yeah. DJ now mate um, yeah. a song that many may not know that you would like them to hear right this is quite a recent one in recent I mean this I only got into this record and into this song specifically because Tom Smith editors when we were we went off in 2015 or was it 2014 2014 15 to make a in dream um editor's record and it was just us no producer just me engineering and we we went to a place in the west coast of scotland and i remember tom coming to, coming to my house and i drove up from newcastle all the way to western scotland uh, to like fucking western highlands and um he brought this um he, he bought this uh, Robert Palmer album up called Clues and we stuck it on it and fucking hell. 
What a record. What an absolute insane record. It's about 17 different styles of music on it. And um, there's this one track called Woke Up Laughing. Ah, it just totally blew me away. And it's just one of those, it's always on my playlist now. It's on, it's on all my playlists. It's just, it, I can't really describe it because it doesn't really fit any genre of music. It's just like this mad stream of consciousness lyrics over this bizarre, repetitive, almost Caribbean kind of backing track. It makes no sense. I heard like, there's like three different versions of it, but that version on there, it, it's just mad. It's, but there's something about it that's amazing. I'd never heard it until you sent that over and, yeah. and, and I went and had a listen. Um, and the, the version that you sent over is far different to the, the one that's on like the kind of best of. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's produced yeah. completely differently, the, the, completely. the other ones. Yeah. Far more kind yeah. of glossy. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a fucking batshit record. It's, it, the whole record, though, is just fucking mad. And it's like, and I think most of the tracks on there have been reproduced over time because it's quite an early album. Yeah. And the later, the more croonery and like fucking big, big shot, slick, fucking rock star he got, the, um, the, the, the glossy the production's got. And it's like all the tracks on there, in, in where they are there, they just sound fucking mad. Like, I think that like was a big really transition edgy. point in that album for him. I think yeah. like coming from kind of like doing Vinegar Joe stuff with mm. Elkie Brooks and stuff like that to, to then kind of, you know, going solo and, and I think Johnny and Mary was quite a hit, wasn't it, off of that yeah, album? Yeah, Johnny, uh, yeah, yeah. And that's a fucking yeah. great record as that well. That is a fucking great tune, yeah. So have, you heard, like, have you heard Placebo's version of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> it's, um, it's just a really weird... I don't know what it is. There's something about it that... If that was out now, you know that someone's just looped something up on Ableton yeah. and sang onto it and then just looped all the... Because he essentially does the same spouts the same lyrics like two or three times and it's the same kind of music underneath it but you know that some fucker stood in the room and played all that yeah yeah you know yeah. what i mean and they probably played it all together and they probably had a fucking time doing it yeah and and something about that where it's ever so slightly different and it's not looped but they're playing the same thing but different and he's just like ah, it's fucking magical and it reminds me of the time we were in that we were literally in the middle of nowhere, like it was like 30 minutes on down, driving down a single track road to get to the nearest village and stuff. So yeah. fucking super, like, I mean, isolation, isolation is like, yeah. you couldn't see anything. You could see the fucking nuclear submarines coming out onto the north, onto the um, Irish Sea. That's pretty much all there was, that and mountains. Yeah. So, um, but it was fucking great. And that album definitely was the soundtrack to that part of my life. And that tune is the one that I go back to and listen to. Well, what I do is I put a, a Spotify playlist together to accompany yeah, this. So um, if, if people are, should be curious by now to, to, to listen to uh, to that, then they can go over and, uh, and and check that out alongside all the other songs that we've spoke about and obviously some of, um, of Justin's work as well. Um, so when this... Um, Lockdown subsides and, and a new reality resumes. Uh, what's what's on the agenda, mate? Um, I guess. Well, we had we 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 probably we were due to play shows this summer. I reckon by the time we get out of this and that it's whatever. It's however we learn to live with this or learn to eradicate this, really, isn't it? So it's like at the moment. 
I mean, I can't see anyone going to a show, going to stand in a massive crowd, a load of people, unless it's some kind of medical intervention of trying to get away from the virus. You know what I mean? There's like, you know, a lot of people who go to shows aren't going to want to go and stand in a room and get a fucking virus that could kill them or kill their parents. So, you know, rightly so. I don't want to fucking play in a show where someone's going to bring a virus that's going to fucking kill me or my parents or my friends and stuff. So it's like, I think everyone's just trying to work out how it all starts up again. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that when it does, editors will be fucking rip-roaring to get out there again. You know, we've got unfinished business with the, with these summer shows that we wanted to do. And so that's there's a starting point. Um, I'm just working on a minor victory second record. So I want to get that out. Um, how do you, do you well. how you record those? Do you record those sort of independently or do you, do you all come together? And those? <clears throat> uh, most of it, like the first one I did, the crux of it in my studio. And then my brother went up to hang out with Stuart in Glasgow to do their bits and then brought the stuff back down to my, into my studio. And then Rachel was remotely by the internet. And this time, this kind of makes it easier this time because we know how to do it, because we yeah. know how to work this. But this is how we work. We work in, in the way that everyone has to work now. So it's yeah. dead easy to just like fling parts around and, you know, and have the central spine of it down here where all the gear is and, 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 and where I am and stuff. So that process is, 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 is dead simple now because yeah. we've already done a record like that. So. Um, so yeah, I've got that one to, to do, but I guess it's the whole of the landscape of music and how artists can afford to eat and live has to change. It has to be like some kind of, I think the industry is going to change like beyond recognition. It has to, it, ha it just has to, otherwise you're not going to get music in the way that we get it now you know or we've always had it historically it's like you know it, and, it, and as soon as this lockdown happened effectively 90 percent of the industry got laid off you know yeah. and the live industry is just you know there's nothing no such thing as the live industry as we speak you know because I mean? yeah. it's fucking done and um you know a lot of people all the people that go you know there's more people behind the scenes than there is on stage do you know what i mean exponential amounts of people put their, put their lives into making shit work and they're all out of a job. So it's like, right. So we're going to, you know, you can't expect people to take two years off work with no income and then just go, ah, oh, fuck it. Yeah, we're back on it. No, everything's sure. all right. Sweet. So <clears throat> there has to be some kind of rebalancing of the, um, and kind of forward planning of, you know, what happens if this happens again, we can't keep, you know, fucking sacking off an entire generation of workers yeah and because it's not just about having the people it's the skills that they bring and the experience that they bring and all that you can't just learn that shit overnight so you need these people if you want to go and see your festivals and want to see all your favorite bands in one place then all the people who put that festival on and work that festival and make that thing work all have to be you know in work to do that otherwise yeah you know, yeah. because they've all got kids and stuff as well. So it's really weird. And then the, the fundamental question of artists generally and the way that artists are remunerated for their work, you know, especially in the streaming streaming world, it's like, you know, you get to a point where only rich kids can be in bands and bands aren't about rich kids. Band, bands, 
you know, you get like there was a fucking great article yesterday, and it's not just in bands either. It's you know across the there's a brilliant article in the Quietest yesterday about um, housekeeping that that dance outfit, you know, investment bankers. Yeah, you know, and it's like all kinds of questions have been brought up by this virus, and it and it permeates the entire of the creative process from film, music, class, identity. You know, that I think when we come out the other side, when everyone stopped being really fucking angry at the Tories fucking us, which they're going to do anyway, <clears throat> um, is is how do we appreciate the culture that we get? Because if you don't appreciate it, and at some point people just go, I can't be fucking asked to struggle anymore, and you're not going to get those amazing pieces of work which we just talked about. Because, yeah. you know, you can't have a pumpkins in this world you can't have a way but you know you can't you won't be able to have them because there's no outlet and there's no no way for them to make any money and yeah you know so it's it, like, it's, it's so strange because the industry you know through being in bands yeah. in, in in the 90s that you know that it appeared to be more support and more more kind of um what's the word kind of uh, mm-hmm. you know that investing bands you know that like if your first album mm-hmm. didn't shift that well let's see what we can do with the second one whereas now that second one don't happen, and it's and and, yeah. and it is, and, and it's the same. You know, I've got so many friends that have, have, you know, tried to kind of, you know, crack, you know, acting, and 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 they're all from where I live. You know, they're working class people, and it's like yeah. they can't afford to live in London and go to uh, auditions every day because they've got to go to work to to pay their yeah, way. Yeah. And it's like you know, there, there was no Benedicts at my school. I know that. You know, no, 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 <laughs> they weren't no, a Cumberbatch in my history class. No. And it, it, and it, but it's it's across the board as well, and it and it it's really stifling because you know these are all the things that we all celebrate, but then if we think about how it's made and how it got to that point, and really gave it the fucking credence and respect it deserved, then there'd be more of it. But at the moment, there isn't because a outside of the virus, if everything was still normal, it's still heading to that trajectory of. Only fuck you can only be Mumford and Sons. There's only the bands that are going to get through because they don't need to fucking you know. There's no struggle. They'll just fucking do it because they're sorted. They're set. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, I'm not having a go at Mumford Sons. You know, it's, it's how you are. It's where you were born, and you know. But especially you know, and that's why I set, I set a label up purely for bands that I knew no other label had fucking put out. But they probably you know back in the day they probably would and would have got to record three. And it yeah. would have been fucking brilliant, you know what I mean? And and um, that's that's that is the industry I grew up in. And I, and the, you know, there's aspects of it that were fucking appalling as well. Like there always will be, but you know, at least people have a chance to do something yeah. before they got fucking kicked down the stairs. You know what I mean? Yeah. So totally. nowadays, you can't even get to the fucking top of the stairs to get kicked down. So it's pretty rough, really. Yeah. You know. And uh, um, and there's only so much bedroom electronica one person can take. <laughs> what a place to finish. <laughs> yeah. so. Just yeah. thank you so much for your time today, mate. I really, really no worries, appreciate mate. it. It's been no worries. an absolute Thanks pleasure. Thank you. All right, Chief. Catch you later. There you go. See? Told you it was worth sticking about for those few little glitches at the beginning. Um was really annoying. Um when you know when especially when your guest kind of sets up a, a nice little setup to ensure that we get, you know, two really nice studio sounding audio feeds and 
And then he was like, oh, mate, something's gone wrong. And and when he sent it over, yeah, unfortunately, it wasn't um, what we wanted, but it didn't matter because what we did want was a good chat, and that's what we got. Um, so hopefully you had as much fun listening to that as I did recording it. Um, Justin's an absolute top fella. Um, and, yeah. I'll be back next week. As I mentioned at the beginning, if you want some more, then go and have a look. There's 150 or so episodes of amazing podcasts with cracking creatives that you can go and get your teeth stuck into. And there's the Patreon and, and all the other stuff. And if you did really enjoy this, then there's now the facility to to go, oh, here's a quid, thank you, um, to support the podcast uh, over on the uh, ACAST uh, homepage um, of this podcast. I think I'm done. I spoke way too long. I'll be back next week. See you soon. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and Acast. And it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, and there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes, so if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, Scan the little code and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online. Because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well. Podbiblemag.com it's off the beat and track podcast on the distraction pieces network keep me stew with him Eat it,